My friends, if you could get your Bibles back out to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to dive right in because there's quite a bit to cover in this chapter. So we're going to get moving here. Let's pick up with our story uh, where Ray left off last week as we bring ourselves up to date uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Of course, from, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 1 to 5, we heard of the death of Saul. We then hear of King David becoming king of Judah. Well, Ishbosheth is made king of Israel. Ishbosheth is a son of Saul, and that's a hard name to pronounce. So we then hear of this intense civil war um, between the servants of David and the men of Israel under Ishbosheth. And so the house of Saul uh, competing with the house of David, and of course the house of David becoming stronger and stronger. In chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, we see that Ishbosheth accuses one of his men, Abner, of sexual immorality. And Abner is very angry at this false accusation and eventually goes to join David's men. One of David's men, Joab, at the time ends up murdering Abner because he does not trust him. David then mourns the death of Abner. And as we fast forward, we hear of Ishbosheth's death. And then we hear of two men bringing the head of Ishbosheth to David. Much like last week when we heard of the Amalekite bringing the news of the death of Saul to David. Of course, we saw in Ray's sermon last week that the Amalekite was lying, um, saying that, that he finished the job. In fact, he didn't. Saul had committed suicide. But David had had the Amalekite killed. And so similarly here, as these two men uh, bring the news of Ishbosheth's death, David is not pleased with this news at all. And so David then puts them to death as well. After all of this, David is made king over Israel, all of Israel. So this finally ushers in the united kingdom of Israel. David then defeats the Philistines, and that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 6, which is our passage this morning. Let's look at verses 1 to 4 for our first chunk. In verses 1 to 4, we hear of David and his men going to get the ark of God. Okay, the ark of God, of course, the ark of the covenant, being that chest of acacia wood overlaid with gold that we hear of in Exodus 25. And this ark was in the house of Abinadab, and Abinadab was the father of Uzzah in Ohio. And so we we see that uh, start to take place here, that David and his men go to get the ark. And so the ark, my friends, as we know, the ark housed the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And the Israelites really considered the ark to be the footstool of the heavenly throne in some sense, right? It, It housed the law of God. And in a sense, it displayed God's holiness and his presence among his people in this deeply profound and tangible way, right? It was deeply symbolic of the Lord's presence, the ark was. What we see in these first few verses is that David and his men were carrying this ark on a new cart, okay? On this new cart, and this is our first sign of of disobedience, right? This is our first sign of disobedience. In Exodus 25 and 37, we're told that the ark equipped with rings and poles is to be carried on the shoulders of priests, 
right? We also hear of that in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua. And so they are now carrying it on this new cart in disobedience. My friends, as we apply this idea to our lives, how often, friends, do we seemingly do good things, right? How often do we seemingly do good things in our own way instead of adhering to the way in which God wants us to act, okay? And as we'll see here in the text, this disobedience does have an intense outcome. Let's look at verses 5 to 7. Verses 5 to 7, we hear that David and his men are celebrating. And then we hear in verse 6 that the oxen who is pulling this new cart had stumbled. And so Uzzah puts out his hand to the ark and he takes hold of it. And in verse 7, we then hear that God struck him down because of his error. And then Uzzah dies beside the ark of God. Well, what do we make of this account? I'd like to suggest two key points as we read the the spiritual application and, and try to dive into this. Two key points. One, God is a holy God. Okay, God is a holy God. Think of the way, my friends, that the sun shines down on us and gives us life. And yet if we get too close without protection, or a better word, without a mediator, then we'd be burnt up, okay? So let us never forget the holiness of God, okay? Again, the holiness of God is on display in a, in a deeply profound, symbolic, and tangible way in the ark. And so we must never forget the holiness of God. And so Uzzah seemed to have maybe forgotten the holiness of God. He didn't have that right reverence. Maybe it was the fact that the ark had been housed in his father's house for so long. Maybe he was just used to it, right? Nonetheless, he had forgotten the the holiness of God in some sense. And this whole account, friends, speaks of a lack of reverence, right? David and his men, also important to note, seem to have forgotten the holiness of God as well. That right reverence, right, as they carried the ark on this ox cart, right, this new cart. So this was in disobedience to God's command of how he commanded them to carry the ark. And so we see a consequence here. And remember the Old Testament context, right, that the presence of a holy God is on display here in the ark, right, as he said, And this is the same God, my friends, who in Exodus 33 said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. He also said this in in Hebrews chapter 10. It says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right? Again, think think of that idea of the sun. The sun shines down on us. It gives us life. But if we get too close to it without protection, we'll be burnt up. Okay, so you think of that, that kind of imagery. And so Uzzah reaches out in this moment what seems to be a good action in his human mind, but God doesn't need his help, right? So this whole account speaks of that disobedience or that lack of reverence in some sense. And so he's struck down, violating the holiness of God. And of course, David and his men are also doing so in the way they are traveling with the ark on this new cart. Okay, so point one, God's a holy God. Point two, we can't come into the direct, tangible presence of God without a mediator. Okay, we can't come into the direct, tangible presence of God without a mediator, right? In a word, a priest, 
Okay? The, that, to have that kind of access, you need a mediator and an intercessor. And of course, I'm using the, the Old Testament context of the priest here. So just let's, let's keep that in mind as we move through this text. Let's look to verses 8 to 11 now. In verses 8 to 11, we see that David is angry, right? He's, he's angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And we can understand that. Think of this moment, friends, that David and his men are celebrating one moment, and the next God strikes Uzzah down. So in verse 9, if you see verse 9 here, we see David's genuine fear of the Lord here on display. Right Where there was a lack of reverence for God among Uzzah, David, and his men, David has now seen the ramifications of what what, godly, what a lack of godly fear leads to, right? What this disobedience leads to. So read, that, read into that and let's understand the spiritual reality of that. So what that de- disobedience leads to, it leads to destruction, okay? So David realizes his guilt then in having offended God and he is genuinely terrified. But I want to posit that this event leads him to that proper reverence. God's holiness, right? That godly fear. And as we apply this to our lives, friends, how many churches forget about God's holiness, right? How many Christians lack a proper fear, a proper reverence for the Lord, that right reverence? Well, let that never be the case here, friends, at St. George's. Let us always come into God's presence with that right reverence, coming into God's presence through Christ. Let's look at verses 12 to 15 now as we move forward. So in verses, um, in verses 10, 10 onward, we hear about the ark taking a three-month pit stop after the events of his death. Again, this causes David to abandon the project of bringing the ark to the city for a, a period of time. And then as we fast forward to verses 12 to 13, we hear of the blessing of the household of Obed-Edom, right? This is where the ark was housed for a few months. David hears of this, of this, and then he goes and brings the ark to the city of Jerusalem. He revives the mission. In this time in verse 13, we see that the ark is now actually transported in the proper way that God prescribed, right? They bore the ark. And if you cross-reference that with 1 Chronicles 15, you'll see that they are carrying it in the proper manner now, okay? And so in verse 13, we then also hear of David's sacrifice of an ox and a fattened animal. This was probably a symbol of, of thanksgiving or intercession on his part. And then in verse 14 here, we see that David dances before the Lord with all his might. So think of it, friends, this extravagant procession that's taking place, right? With much joy and celebration for what the Lord has done in David's life. Notice that David is wearing a linen ephod. This is key, okay? He's wearing a linen ephod. David the king here is wearing a garment that is associated with priests. It's a priestly garment. We see that back in 1 Samuel 22. The priests are wearing this linen ephod. In 1 Samuel 2, Samuel himself is wearing the ephod. And we hear of this ephod in Exodus and Leviticus as well. 
So this linen ephod, it was a, a short priestly garment. Um, it was a sort of apron on the front and an apron on the back, and it would have been fastened at the shoulders and tied with some sort of belt. So this is a priestly garment. So we see now David, who has already established um, Jerusalem as a political capital, he's now establishing Jerusalem as a religious capital, okay? He's, he's setting the ark, right? Again, symbolic, deeply symbolic uh, and profound, that symbolism of God's holy presence. He's setting that ark at the center of the nation's life, okay? He's setting the ark at the center of the nation's life. This is unlike Saul's reign. Of course, they had to go get the ark from an obscure place. Saul did not have the ark at the center of the nation's life, but David now goes to do so. Ultimately, fulfilling the idea that Israel would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which we see in Exodus 19. And so David is not only seen here as king, but as priestly king, as a priest king. And he, he plays a priestly role here. This is key. David is now leading Israel, the people of God, in right praise. Okay, this is a, a priestly role he's, praying, he's playing here as a priest king. In fact, as a mediator, an intercessor in some sense. And as we apply this to our lives, my friends, let our lives also be centered around this right praise as well. Just like David brings the ark into Jerusalem that their nation would be centered around right praise. Let our lives also be like that, that the core of our lives would be rooted in the daily and right praise of Christ. Let's look to verses 16 to 19 now, as we keep moving. Verses 16 to 19, we see that David's wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked out of her window at this whole celebration, right? She's looking down at the celebration seeing David wearing this linen ephod, leaping and dancing and celebrating. And it says that she despised him in her heart. In a sense, friends, she has too much of Saul in her, right? There is some sort of deep-seated resentment here. Notice how in the text she's called the daughter of Saul here and not the wife of David, right? So I think that's, that's telling David, again, here in verses 17 to 19, is seen as a sort of priestly figure. He offers burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. These acts are associated with David. So again, David not only as king, but as priest. Let's just pause for a second. Remember what this means in the Old Testament context. A priest describes a person who enters God's presence on behalf of the people of God. Right? They, they were mediators. Okay? And priests essentially performed two main roles on behalf of God's people. And they were always focusing on that reconciliation between God and man. So one, they interceded for them. They spoke to God on the people's behalf. And two, they made sacrifices for them to deal with their sin. They would offer the best of what the people had to God, which is deeply symbolic of dealing with their sin. And that obviously points towards forward to Christ. And so we start to see David in light of this priestly um, reality here. Look at verses 18 to 19. We see that David blesses the people and distributes food to the people. No doubt literally, but 
symbolically and spiritually, we can read this, that David is nourishing the people, right? Spiritually, as he leads them in this right praise. And so David, as a shepherd here, feeding his sheep. And now our last chunk here, verses 20 to 23. So we come to verses 20 to 23. David returns to bless his household. But Michael's response in verse 20 is loaded with this sort of sarcasm, right? Mentioning David being king, but also his immodesty in the presence of his female servants. So what's she referring to here? Well, she's referring to the fact that David had taken off his kingly robes, right? David was not wearing all of his kingly garments, and he was wearing, instead, a linen ephod. In 1 Chronicles 15, verse 27, it speaks of this account saying, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and David wore a linen ephod, right? That priestly garment. So Michael's upset here that David was not wearing his kingly garments. And the nature of his outfit here was also most likely less material than his kingly garments. So when he's dancing and leaping around, I'm sure there was more skin that would have been seen, which is maybe what she's speaking about uh, when she says that he had uncovered himself. But also that he isn't wearing his usual kingly garments. So Michael did not like this whole mode that David was celebrating and maybe there was some sort of resentment or jealousy here that stirred up in her from the fact that her father was displaced by David or maybe she was upset because the king didn't maintain that proper distance from common folk, specifically the maids and and servants. And maybe she was upset that the king had uncovered himself not wearing his kingly robes but the linen ephod. Less clothing, yes, but read that symbolism here. David was not acting like a king in Michael's view, right? Uh, He was participating in behavior that was beneath his royal dignity. But my friends, important for us to note, as we see David's heart here, David's reign as a king is first and foremost before God. And before God, he will celebrate, right? He will let loose in in thankful praise as he overflows with joy for what the Lord has done. Nothing will hold him back. His, His celebration of the Lord's goodness may even look like foolish conduct in the eyes of Michael, but appearances don't matter to David here. Instead, as a priestly king, he will joyfully dance in God's presence. And so David rejoices in the Lord. And Michael's displeasure in him here is is wrong. She doesn't get it. She she has too much of Saul in her. And she ends childless, the text says. Of course, childless in this era would have been a reproach. There will be no son of David who is also a grandson of Saul. Okay, And so we see David's, um, the intent of his heart here, that worship. All right. So as we close then, Where do we see Jesus in this text? Right, where do we see Jesus? Well, one, we too, like Uzzah, deserve wrath for our disobedience. And we too should be struck down when we come into God's holy presence. But we don't receive wrath and we're not struck down. Why? Because of Jesus, our great high priest, our priest 
king, this Jesus who lived a perfect life of obedience, granting to us his perfect record of righteousness through faith. This Jesus who bore the wrath of a holy God in our place on the cross. This Jesus who fulfilled the law, that law that David loved as he danced before the ark in celebration. This Jesus who is our mediator and intercessor, our great high priest who once for all by his one oblation of himself once offered, made a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. A great high priest who doesn't just offer sacrifice on behalf of his people, but Christ himself is the sacrifice for the sins of his people. And now, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we now have that full access to a holy God. We have that access now. We will not be struck down. We can freely and tangibly enter God's holy presence. Of course, even as his presence resides in us by the Holy Spirit. But let us never lose that right reverence for our holy God. And let us never take for granted that we have this direct access to God through Jesus, our mediator, our high priest. Let us never take that for granted, this great gift of salvation, eternal life that we have in him. So through the priestly work of Christ, we can approach God without fear of being destroyed. In fact, friends, all of us, we too are are priests, right? Being a part of the royal priesthood in the sense that we can enter God's presence because of Jesus Christ. And so as we close, like David, the priest king leading Israel in right praise, so Jesus, the eternal priest king, leads his church, his body in right praise. He intercedes for us and he's dealt with our sin and we've been reconciled to a holy God by the death of his son, right? The veil has been torn and through Jesus, there's no more separation between a holy God and man. And so what's our response then? Well, like David, we celebrate. We celebrate in this joyful procession. We lay it all on the line in gratitude because of what the Lord has done for us in Jesus singing, dancing, leaping for joy, because through the cross, a way has been opened for us to live for all of eternity in the new city, the heavenly Jerusalem, a unified kingdom praising God under the reign of the king of kings and the priest of priests. And so as David rejoices before the ark of God, we rejoice before the cross of Christ, because the cross of Christ is the doorway to eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us in the gospel. We thank you that we will not be struck down like Uzzah, but that we have direct access through Christ, our high priest. We thank you that you will lead your church in right praise, that we live our lives centered around right praise of you, Lord, and that we can celebrate for your good news of salvation. Lead us this day, Lord, as we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.